Are you one of those people that sees life as one big experiment? How does that work? What happens if we do this? What's that over there? Why did that happen? Yeah, me too. This is a podcast about being curious, being willing to give things a try and not settling for the status quo. Sometimes we fly and sometimes we fall, but there's always a lesson to be learned and a good story to tell. So join me, Nathie Gaffney, and my guests as we share stories of how we've turned fuck-ups into features. Life is short, people. I figure, let's just suck it and see. There are times in our lives when even the hardest of hearted ones of us get a little bit nostalgic. And birthdays is one of those times. And uh, today I've been a little bit nostalgic about uh, a particular birthday. In fact, my son has turned 20 today. And so in today's episode, I've gotten a little bit nostalgic about the roller coaster ride of motherhood that I have shared with this young man. I hope you enjoy it. This time 20 years ago, I was 28 hours into a 30-hour labour. I had had a blood pressure drop and so they'd had to lie me down and that slowed the labour down. And, and all I can remember in the haze is my obstetrician leaving in one set of clothes and coming back hours later in a different set of clothes. Uh, it felt like he went to the ballet at one point, he was in a suit and tie, and then it looked like he was in golfing gear, and he just kept popping back in and seeing how far along I was. At that time, I was 38 years old, and I really thought, because of how long it was taking, at any minute now, he was going to come in and say, look, sorry, this has gone on too long, We need to. you need to have a caesarean. Anyway, at one point, he realised that I was completely exhausted and he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put you to sleep. And so because I was lying down, they actually gave me uh, a sedative and knocked me out for a couple of hours. And then when I came to, uh, I was dilated. And I think that was like only an hour or something before you were actually delivered. And I woke up and he went, right, we're ready to go. Are you ready to push? And I pushed and fucking pushed and pushed and still you wouldn't come out. You were just having a lovely time in there. You just didn't want to deal with the world, I think. So in the end, uh, he had to put on the rubber gloves and get the suction cap out and out you came at 6.15pm on the 12th of March 2002. And... The first thing I did was called for a beer. I had worked really fucking hard to get you out. And uh, so, yeah, I had a cold beer in the bed in the delivery suite. And the anaesthetist said, he said, all the years I have been doing this job, he said, I have never seen a mother chug down a beer after giving birth. So, uh, yeah, so that was a pretty interesting, interesting thing. I was pretty exhausted. 
after that ordeal. And uh, when finally, you know, I, I don't know, it must have been some 48 hours later, it felt like the first time I found myself really truly alone with you and you were in the little um, maternity ward um, bassinets on the trolleys that, that they give you. They're like clear. They're, it's basically a clear perspective box on a trolley so I was lying in the bed and I could see you through the perspex and I was looking at you and you were just settled there and lying there sleeping and the enormity of not just what I'd done but also what I'd taken on and the exhaustion and the fatigue and the thrill and the elation and all of that sort of stuff just became too much to bear. And I got myself out of bed and I dragged a chair up to your trolley and I just looked at you through the glass and I put my head on the perspex and looked at you and, and I just wept. I wept from the exhaustion and I wept from the relief that you were, that you were here and that you were healthy and that you were mine and that you were loved. And I, I wept because I kind of, I didn't know what to do. I felt so wholly unprepared for what I imagined was ahead of me, being a mum. And, and, I, and I knew that I couldn't do a half-assed job. I knew that I didn't want to fuck it up, that I wasn't going to fuck it up, but I wasn't sure I could do it. You were so wanted. You were wanted with a ferocity and a determination. Ironically, I hadn't actually, I hadn't actually ever wanted kids. I was that one who, you know, if they were handing around new babies, I was in the other corner of the room at the bar. Uh, and I think that came about because of, you know, of the stuff that happened when I was a kid, of my brother, of Milo being born when I was seven and mum and dad still being so young and such party animals and even as a young baby, um, uh, well, as a child, I would I would be left to look after Milo. So, you know, this eight-year-old looking after a baby. I mean, these days it would be a case of docs. But back then in 1971, in a small country town, it was kind of the norm, I guess. I don't know if it was the norm, to be honest, but, um, but it was my norm. And I was acutely aware that um, as an eight and nine-year-old, when you're left with a baby that you can't, soothe or satisfy and that baby's crying and throwing poo at you which my younger brother did quite frequently don't know what that was about uh it leaves you with more <laughs> negative uh memories of what it's like to have a baby than positive ones and i think all of my avoidance of wanting to have a baby 
was that childhood trauma of, Jesus, I don't know what to do with a baby. Uh, and my only experience of dealing with babies were being wholly and totally unprepared and ill-equipped. Um, yeah, so, so I think that um, it was a miracle that I got to a point in my life that I wanted a baby at all. But when I did, it was this primal urge. I wanted it. I wanted it now. And uh, I remember I was performing at the time um, in uh, absolutely not doing all the corporate work with Leslie and um, and had it all planned out. I was like, right, okay, so Simon's going to have his 30th birthday and we're going to have a big party and then I'm going to go into detox uh, for a month and then I'm going to get pregnant uh, and that means that I'll be heavily pregnant over the summer, over Christmas and the summer, uh, which will work really well because that's when the corporate events world winds down and so I can enjoy the last bit of my pregnancy and then I'll have the baby in about February, March and that'll be right because then I'll take a few months off and then I'll get back into, I'll get back into performing and back into work. And of course, that was a, that was a plan that I was absolutely happy to share with anyone who would care to listen. And I just do remember several women saying to me, listen, you're 37 years old. Um, I don't want to be the bearer of bad tidings, but it might not happen like that. You know, you might be trying for quite some time. And my attitude was, well, you just watch me. And sure as eggs, I said to Simon a month after his 30th birthday, right, come on, on the pony, we are making a baby. And he was expecting for, you know, this absolute shagathon to probably go on for quite some months. But as it was, one month after the first dedicated baby-making shagathon, it was like, ping, pregnant. I remember your dad saying, what, you're pregnant already? Are you sure? And I was like, yep, I'm sure we have got a bun in the oven. You were the cutest fucking baby I had ever seen and 20 years later I'm sorry you are still right up there in the top 10 cutest babies I've ever seen in my life now I know that every mother's baby is beautiful but let's face it not all babies are beautiful they're just fucking not some of the you know the, the ears don't fit the heads the nose the eyes are too big it's you know in in the classification of babe, cute baby aesthetics not all babies are created equal. You, my darling, were so fucking cute. I just, I wanted to bite, oh, I wanted to bite you. Um, I've, I didn't. Uh, I have since found out that the, um, that those emotions that I, that I was uh, encountering are actually a thing. There is a syndrome, this is a side tangent here, folks. Uh, it's the syndrome called cute aggression, <laughs> cute aggression or playful aggression, whereby something baby, child, animal is so cute. You literally want to like bite it or, or strangle it or like cuddle it really, really, really hard. Anyway, you were that fucking cute. And, uh, and it lasted for quite some time. I think, 
<laughs> and then you've gone through a not quite cute phase uh, that I think all adolescent boys go through. But by and large, darling, you have been a fucking cutie. Um, uh, do all mothers do this? I used to watch you um, when you slept. Is that kind of creepy? And in fact, uh, it was funny that it never stops, by the way, because I remember being up in Townsville. I don't know, it was the year before last and I was visiting my mum, your grandma, Luca, and I was really knackered and I went to have a lie down on her bed um, and when I woke up, she was sitting on the end of the bed watching me. She was watching me sleep and I was 56 years old and she had just that look of total smittenness. Is that, is that a, even a word? Yeah, that she was smitten and she said, it's, she said you look exactly like you used to look when you were a little baby. So, yes, I have watched you sleep. I, I don't watch you sleep now because your room stinks and I don't want to go in there and you get the shits with me whenever I walk into your room. So I don't go in there and watch you when you sleep anymore. Um, maybe you're glad to hear that. You've always loved performing and you've always been bloody good at it, to be honest. First time is when you did a little dance routine uh, in kindy from The Lion King. Oh, you were so fucking cute. Yeah, cute aggression. Then when you sang La Vida, oh, no, La Vida Los Locos. No, no, I can't remember the name of the song. The Coldplay song. Um, and you were only about nine and you sang it at the school talent question. You got a standing ovation from the whole school and all the teachers. It was so beautiful. Then watching you in, in the choir and sing in the choir and all the times you performed. But one of the times I, I'm most proud of, and it, it actually wasn't a performance as such. It was an assignment that you had to do. And I think it was your first year of high school. It was for art. And you had to do a video, like a video diary, sort of chronicling the inner workings and the, the methods of a particular artist. Um, and you didn't just do a normal videogram. You, you, the artist you'd chosen was Frida Kahlo, uh, the, the Mexican painter. And, um, <laughs> and for your assignment, Kim, my best friend from school, who incidentally, a uh, little tangent, when I was freaking out when, um, before I thought that I could have a baby, she was the one who said to me, Nathie, you are going to be a fucking amazing mother. You don't ever, ever doubt it. So you've got Kim to thank you for being here. Anyhow, we were staying with Kim, who is an art teacher and very creative. And for this art assignment, we decided that it would be good if you didn't just talk about Frida Kahlo's inner workings and, and method, that you actually dress up and play the part of Frida Kahlo actually talking to the camera about her motivation and her inspiration. And so we dressed you up as Frida Kahlo and I think you, you would have been a 12 or 13 year old boy, a boy and we gave you 
Frida's monobrow and we dress you up and we put Mexican cushions around. And, and luckily, Kim even had uh, a chihuahua. Um, <laughs> can't remember the name of the dog. <laughs> but it featured in the video. And you did this most magnificent. Um, and you did it in a Mexican accent. Anyway, you got an A-plus for that assignment. And I was, I was pretty fucking proud. I'm not going to lie. We've done a lot of travelling together over the years. And I have to say, I actually really enjoy travelling with you. We have fun, whether you were little and even now as a young adult, um, I really do get a lot of joy out of um, spending time with you. For the most part, you're a, an excellent travel companion. Um, although there was one trip that we did uh, when you were 15 and you were the fucking devil child. Um, we had 10 days where we went to Japan and I was trying to explain to you the difference between a holiday and a trip. Now, a holiday is where you go to one place and you just kick back and you do nothing. Japan was not that holiday. Japan was go, go, go. It was three different cities or four different cities in 11 days, traveling in between and having to maximize the time that we had in each city on any given day with a fully packed itinerary. Well, your body was on 15 year old time and I just could not get you out of bed before 10 o'clock on any given morning and it was the bane of my existence. Yeah, I yelled at you a lot on that holiday and, uh, and you yelled back at me. Um, uh, and funnily enough, in the years that have come to pass, you realised, you're like, oh, I really wasted the opportunity in Japan. Now I know I should have gotten up earlier. Yeah, 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 you should have. But you've learnt, you've learnt from that mistake and, uh, and in subsequent trips, uh, you've, you've rallied. I do remember I had a real parenting moment on, on that trip though, because you were old enough to carry the bags and have responsibility and all of that sort of stuff. But you were still a, you know, you're still a kid. And, uh, and I was mum and you'd always been able to rely on me and trust me um, and have faith that I had this, that I knew what I was doing. I knew where we were going. I knew what to do in any given situation. And so here we are in Japan and we're traveling on the Metro. And, you know, I have to say that for a country where you don't speak the language, it's pretty bloody easy to get around in Japan. Everything is so ordered and it's so reliable and it's so clean and you feel so safe. So, it, you know, we had, we had a head start on that one, but, um, I couldn't get the directions on the trains right. And I remember one particular point we were trying to get from, you know, one place to another. And we got on the, tra <laughs> the train and, uh, and we ended up going in the wrong direction. And you lost your shit with me. You're like, Mom, we're going in the wrong direction. What is wrong with you? And in that moment, I was like, I was like, dude, just get, re relax. We got on the train. We're going in the wrong direction. All we have to do is get off at the next step and get back on the train and go back in the other direction and then we'll be right. But it was funny. It was a real moment of realisation that as, as big as you were and as responsible as you were and as young a man as you were becoming, 
you were still a kid and you relied on me and uh and in that moment <laughs> mum was not coming through you were you were not feeling safe uh, <laughs> with my direction giving but um but we did come up with a really really great saying on that trip and that has served us well on many subsequent adventures together and that is hey it's all part of the adventure you've made me pretty angry sometimes i'm not going to lie in fact i have lost my shit with you a couple of times not proud of it uh and uh but yeah uh so one particular time well you were you were doing what 15 year olds do when you were testing the boundaries and testing my patience a lot and uh anyway you might have been experimenting with uh with some things here and there but you were at school and you were supposed to be doing schoolwork and I do recall you pushing just pushing back and pushing my buttons one one night and I was standing at the kitchen sink with a bread knife in my hand and you were standing at the kitchen door and we were just going toe to toe and you just would not have it anyway I was so angry no listeners I didn't throw the knife <laughs> had I been trained in the circus I very likely would have under these circumstances but I didn't what I did do was I vented my anger and annoyance on the knife itself and I smashed the knife and on the seat where I was standing I smashed 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 I smashed it so hard that I snapped the stainless steel blade in half the blade spun off and actually I, I, to this day, I don't know how it did it, but it cut a hole in the actual stainless steel sink. So to this day, we have a hole in the bottom of our stainless steel sink that um, another side tangent here that has been plugged up with blue tack uh, since the uh, since the occurrence in question, which Luca just turning twenty. Uh, is five years ago. So five years that blue tack has lasted, plugging up the hole in that sink from my um, my knife-wielding rage. And, in fact, I probably didn't even need to put that in there um, into this episode for you to remember because that is the story that you will tell anybody who ever will listen. But I do remember that and, and we laugh. You're maturing as a man and how how can i tell this is you're getting much better at emotional regulation but one of the big things i've noticed is that your your capacity to reflect um and and show compassion if we've had words or you know you've put me under pressure and we haven't been getting on you will reflect on that and you will come back to me after the fact and apologize. And you don't just say sorry, you articulate back to me what happened and how you recognize that certain things were, you know, unfair or inappropriate or, you know, just not right. 
and uh, and I always consider that a little bit of a win because self-regulation is one of the most important things for a young man to develop and I have a great sense of pride in you when I get these glimpses of your emotional maturity and how they are panning out. Um, you also don't like to let annoyances and disagreements fester. You like to talk them out and clear the air. And I think that is a really, truly admirable quality. And, um, yeah, on this, your 20th birthday, um, you're a... You're a wonderful young man and it's a delight and it's such a privilege to be your mum and I want you to know that I considered it when you were a baby. I remember saying one day, this is my greatest creative endeavour ever and I look at you with, with great pride and wonder and hope and sometimes annoyance and frustration and you know sometimes I despair in some moments but mostly I I love and adore you and appreciate all that you have brought into my life so happy birthday Luca I love you mum <laughs>